Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors at Life Canton, and I'm so glad that you are joining us, whether it's your first time listening to us, or whether you're a regular attender who's maybe catching up or listens from home. Welcome. Either way, we believe that you belong to this community because you belong to God. So I want to make sure that you know you can always get connected via a Connect card. That way, uh, fill one of those out and we can reach out and help you get connected to a life group, connected to a ministry, or just answer any questions you might have about the church. So be sure to fill one of those out. We are in our second week of a brand new series called Homecoming, where we'll be talking about the codes of our church, what we believe about who we are as a community, and this idea of coming home or homecoming. (laughs) But this week, we are going to hear a message from Pastor Jared, and he's going to talk about uh, two more of our codes. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a minute. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Hi, Josh. (laughs) If uh, anybody was wondering who's in the room, we know Josh is in the room, and that's always a a boost of confidence for us as well. He sits in the same spot every time, so we know that we're good to go. I am glad that the rest of you are here as well. Uh, I hope all of your names are Josh, because that would make this really easy for me. Um, Welcome. We are glad to get started to continue on our series on homecoming. We'll talk more about that in just a second, but I want to remind you, in case you missed it when Bridget came into the room, uh, to connect with us. We have a Connect card that you can fill out. There's going to be a QR code. You can scan that with your phone. In fact, get your phones out right now because I'm going to have you use them a little bit later on in the service. I want to have you take a picture of something that I'm going to show you in a little while. Uh, but also, while, you're, uh, while you have it out right now, go ahead and scan that code that's going to take you to our Connect card. If you have any troubles with that, you can visit us in the Welcome Center in the lobby, and we'll be happy to meet you and greet you there as well. That's for specifically for new people uh, so that we can get you connected, but also uh, for the rest of you, there are going to be some opportunities to engage, even if you've been coming here for years, and so uh, you can use that Connect card for that reason as well. Um, my name is Jared, by the way. I don't know if I introduced myself. I'm Jared. Nice to meet you if we haven't met yet. And uh, I am excited to be in this series, one, because we're talking about sort of what makes our home a home. And so that's what you do with homecoming, especially if uh, those of you who come from other cultures where you didn't have a homecoming, you weren't part of a school that celebrated homecoming. That's really what it is, is to celebrate what is going on in our home. We do that in colleges. You do that in schools. Uh, but for our church, we want to celebrate what it means uh, to be part of this home. And, uh, and so we have a sort of a, a homecoming, if you will, for ourselves. And we've been talking about our codes and our culture. Last week, if you didn't get a chance to hear the message from Pastor John, our new associate pastor, by the way, uh, which we're excited for. Uh, he did a masterful job talking about you belong and encounter Jesus. So go back and listen to that. He also talked about sort of his his joy of homecoming uh, as well. And uh, football's all wrapped up with that. Uh, I like football as well. I'm not going to make this whole thing about football, but I do want to say um, I'm, I'm happy for y'all Lions fans. Um, wow. All of the joy that comes with just that. Uh, We're talking about Jesus, and that's okay, but the Lions fans, that's fine. I myself am a Minnesota Vikings fan. I'm excited today because we get to play the Kansas City Taylor Swifts um, uh, later today, so that's going to be fun. Uh, It's a new team that, I guess, uh, got designed last week. Um, But John talked a little bit about football. I'm not going to talk so much about that, but 
we'll, we'll start with that. I have a little bit of a homecoming story myself, and uh, going back to uh, more so my experience in high school, not just specifically as it relates to homecoming, but as it, as it relates to, to sports, to football. I, I grew up in a small town, so like everybody got to do everything. You, didn't, you couldn't just like pick one thing and then stick with it. You got to do all the things. So I was involved with a lot of different sports, but also got to do like art and theater and speech and all those kinds of things. Um, and I know this is going to come as a maybe disappointing shock and surprise to you, but I was not um, the star of our football team. I don't know why that's funny, but um, uh, so I wasn't in football in high school, and uh, instead I, I was the star of my trombone section. So that was that was my testimony. Um, I got to be in the band, and I, and I liked that too. Um, but I was always conflicted around, you know, homecoming and Friday nights and football and stuff like that because I, I, I enjoyed sports and I sort of wanted to be on the team, but I, I sort of knew my place too on the band. And so I always had this conflict for, uh, within myself of like wanting to be out on the field, wanting to play the sport, um, but also knowing that like I liked music too. And so I was going to be in the stands playing my trombone. So there was this conf- conflict for me. Fast forward to now me as a dad, and I've got kids of my own, and I don't know about you parents, but maybe you have this desire or this expectation that your kids are going to imitate you. They're going to imitate not just your mannerisms, your speech patterns, maybe the way um, that you act around the house, but also maybe some of the internal desires as well. And so I've got a a son, and I wonder, you know, is he going to feel the same way about me, about sports and music and all of these different elements and things that you can get involved with as a young person. And, um, and, and so I, I feel like I wanted to like make sure that he knew that he had access to athletics and stuff. And I said, Hey, you know, are you good with not being in sports? Cause he's not, he's, he, he tried baseball for a little while. He tried soccer for a little bit, but he's, that's just not his jam. But I wanted to make sure that he was really good with it and that he didn't feel the same kind of conflict that I felt, uh, felt when I was his age. And so I, I finally asked him, uh, one day I was just like, are you sure that you're good with not being in sports? And he says, dad, I'm a band kid. <laughs> just like super confident, super casual, like that's just where he's at. And so he's, he's good with it. And I, and I finally stopped. I'm like, okay, he, he likes band. I'm happy for him. He's confident in that. He kind of knows his purpose for this season in his life. And he's confident with that, that, that place. And so I wanted to talk about that today a little bit as it relates to the next two codes to talk about our purpose and our posture. Are we confident in our purpose? Are we, do we have a sense of confidence in our posture about our purpose? Do we know what our purpose is? We're going to talk about that. Uh, and I, I want us to sort of adopt the same mindset as my son. Dad, I'm a band kid. I'm good with that. Now, before you go and think that he's awesome and amazing um, because, well, he's the pastor's kid. He's got it all figured out. Uh, don't get too carried away. He just found out that he likes pineapple on pizza. So, like, that's not, you know, he's, he doesn't have life all figured out because that's not okay. <sighs> wow, sorry. I might have alienated some people there. Uh, anyway, let's talk about purpose and posture. We're going to go to the book of Philippians. It's a letter written to an ancient church uh, by the Apostle Paul. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join me in there. We're in Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you don't even know about the Bible, you don't even own one, uh, we have that on the screens with you. But let us know if you would like one, you'd like to own one, and uh, we'd, we'd love to give you one as well. So we're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go, uh, go through verses 1 through 11. It starts this way. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? 
I'll let you answer that right now. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes, and maybe some of you are still wrestling with that, and that is okay too. Any comfort from his love? We sing a whole lot about his love, his reckless love. Any fellowship together in the spirit? There is another in the fire. He is right there with you. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I could just stop there. And this like super encapsulates last week, right? Like you belong, we literally have the word belonging, and encounter Jesus, belonging to Christ, Those two are inseparable. Your encounter with Jesus is what creates your belonging. Your belonging is not based on your preferences. It's not based on your conveniences. Your true belonging only matters insofar as you encounter Jesus. That's how we experience true belonging. Not just by my preferences. Not just by what I like and what I dislike. But my my true encounter to Jesus. This encapsulates all of last week. If that's the case, Paul says... If you feel that belonging in Jesus, then make me truly happy, or some translations say, make my joy complete. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I mentioned today we're going to talk about purpose and posture. I want to start with purpose. Working together with one mind and purpose, if you belong, if you experience belonging, if you have encountered Jesus, guess what? That is awesome, but it doesn't stop there. There is work to be done. There's a task. There is a purpose, and it's one mind and one purpose. Work together with one mind and one purpose. He's talking to a group of people. He's not talking to an individual. Now, that is a thing, and we can talk about that, and there's a book called The Purpose Driven Life that sold like millions of copies, and people are really interested in finding out what their purpose is, their individual sort of unique wiring, and that is an important topic, and we can talk about that. That's not what Paul's focus is here. He is asking the church, the collective group in Philippi, to work together with one mind and one purpose. What is that purpose? What is that work? What are they meant to do? We're going to talk about that in the very next section of the verses. Go on to verses 3 through 4. He says, first of all, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. What's your purpose? Well, solve global poverty. Well, uh, end all uh, war. Uh, Well, it's, uh, you know, vote for the right person. Uh, No, no. (laughs) No, take an interest in others. That's it. It's not big and sexy. It's not this grandiose thing. He says, if you belong to Christ, if you experience tenderness and compassion in your hearts, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly, take an interest in each other. That's it. That's the purpose of this church, according to Paul right now. In this ancient world, in this ancient city of Philippi, here is what he needs them to do. Not this big grandiose thing, but simply just look out for each other. Take care of each other. How simple and yet how profound is this purpose? Sometimes it's, it's really fun to talk about, you know, d- deciding or, or discovering what your purpose is, what your ne- unique wiring is, and, you know, taking all of these different personality assessments and kind of getting excited about that. And yes, that is a thing. But sometimes if we get so complex, if we get so individualized, we leave out this collective purpose that Paul calls the church to, that Christ calls the church to, this simple, take care of each other. Take care of each other. 
And there are some prerequisites that come with this. Like, this is actually not easy. It starts with those first verses. We need to belong to Jesus, right? We need to experience tenderness and compassion in our hearts. That has to happen first, right? And, and then we got to take a step further. Also, we have to not be selfish. We have to not try to impress others. We have to be humble and think of others as better than ourselves. These are all prerequisites for living into the purpose of taking an interest in others. Why does he have to say this? Why does he have to go out of his way to make sure that they know what to do and what not to do? Well, because in the first century, all of these churches are starting up, and it was common, especially for the churches that Paul was starting, for these different groups of people to come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different belief systems. This is a very diverse group of people all joining together around one mind and one purpose, and really, more specifically, around the death and resurrection of Jesus. That was their one unifying thing that kept them together. But they're bringing all of their stuff all of their background, all of their differences. Can you imagine why they need to hear this message? Don't be selfish. It's not about your preferences. It's not about your conveniences. It's not about you, actually. It's about you agreeing wholeheartedly with tenderness, compassion, and selflessness and taking an interest. I want to talk about that phrase, take an interest in others. This isn't just merely tolerating each other, merely tolerating our differences, but actually moving from tolerating to joy and to uh, desire. I desire to hear about you. I desire to understand more about what your life is like. I take an, an interest, a genuine interest in learning more about you. Church, that is a grandiose work that we are invited into and think about how hard this is for the church in America right now. We don't even, we're not even interested in each other. We're interested in ourselves. We're interested in consuming whatever it is that makes us more comfortable. But to actually do this work is much harder, I think, than talking about solving world peace and ending global har- hunger. We got to start with just, do I like you? Do I care about you? Like that, that in and of itself is a big enough work for us to participate in. I want to, just make this extremely simple for us right here in our context and what it means to be part of this home and say it this way, that this informs what it means to relentlessly pursue one more. To relentlessly pursue one more. That is our code. And this isn't so much making people into projects, but actually taking a genuine interest in them. Being genuinely interested in somebody else's life. And so here's where I wanted you to get out your phones and get out your camera if you have one and take a picture of this next one. This is, this is the thing that I want us to do. I think sometimes we just struggle in having just basic conversation with people in treating them in such a way that we are actually interested in them. I'll confess most of the time, it's just easier for me to talk about myself, right? Like I am an expert in myself. I know it's just easy for me to talk about what's going on in my life. And so I, when I'm in conversation with people, most often I'm thinking 99.9% of the time, what am I going to say next? <laughs> What's the thing that I can say about myself? Because I'm not actually listening to what the other person is saying. So here's a tool that I want to give us in making conversation just very simply out in the lobby even. Yes, out in public, out in workspaces, out in your schools, but maybe just like right here at our church. 
We're so quick to move to football, right? And I, I know I just did that at the beginning of my message, or we're so quick to talk about the weather or the roads or anything like that, but move into genuine interest of one another. What was growing up like for you? Can you imagine starting the conversation like that? Tell me about growing up for you. What was that like? There's no wrong answer to that. And then don't let people get off too easy. Don't let them just say one word answer. Oh, it was fine. It was fine. It was good. No, tell, say more about that. Expand on that. Elaborate on that a little bit. And as they do, then ask, how do your emotions connect to that? What did that make you feel? You know, maybe sometimes growing up for people, telling about their story of what was growing up like for you, was connected to a lot of pain and difficulty. What did that make you feel? What was that like for you? As they share a little bit more, continue to keep the focus on them and ask, what did you learn from that? Like there, there is something to be said about the emotions that we feel that's attached to our background, to our stories. And I have talked to a lot of you and a lot of us have a lot of intense, complex stories of ups and downs and in between. But then we have to move to the next level of maturity and ask ourselves, are we learning anything based on our experiences? What did you learn from that? And then lastly, this is a deeper question, but how do you think that that impacted the person you are today? This is way more than roads and weather and football. Actually taking a genuine interest in one another. I don't want us to think so complex or so grandiose about this code of relentless pursuit of one more in such a way where we turn people into projects, but simply taking a genuine interest in one another. This church is our purpose, to care for one another, turning outward from ourselves. And all of this has to do with the way Jesus pursues us, right? His reckless love we talked about. He pursues us. He goes after us. We can't, we can't be connected to Jesus and not think about others. Relentless pursuit of one more is a purpose that involves others. It just does. And if we miss this, then we actually miss Jesus. Not only do we miss Jesus, we misinterpret him, we misunderstand him, and we misrepresent him. And so Paul talks about the importance of keeping Jesus in the forefront of our minds as we think about this. He goes into this next section, which leads us into our next code as well, this idea of living beyond ourselves. We talk about that in advance, which is part of the life journey. So if you're wanting to learn a little bit more specifically about that code, you should check that one out. But let's continue in the rest of the verses. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, the same posture. What was that posture? Well, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Let's go to the next section. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That is the epitome of our next code. Whatever it takes wherever it takes us. Jesus goes all the way to the cross. But before he does that, he humbles himself and is born in the flesh. Though he was God, he didn't think of all of his rights as God as something to cling to, to grasp on to. 
He gave up his privilege, his power, his influence in a way to become incarnate in the flesh. God in the flesh. And he's not born into the body of a a royal lineage in such a way where he's born in a palace and he's got a throne that he sits on and he has a scepter that he holds in one hand. No, he's born, as we talk about in Christmas, in a manger. In fact, he's kicked out of the house (laughs) by his family. Mary and Joseph are told, no, we don't don't have any room for you. We're ashamed, actually, by you. We don't know how this baby came to be. You're talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure about all of that. You know, why don't you just go have that baby in a stable? This is how God enters the world. In humility. In rags. In poverty. As a poor brown refugee. This is the posture of God going wherever it takes and doing whatever it takes. This is, in our homecoming celebration, what we celebrate. This is the the posture that we adopt. There's another version about... um, about these verses, it says to be humble, to, be, uh, to, to not be selfish. There's another version that says, uh, don't try to impress one another, but it says it in a slightly different way. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So what is our posture as it relates to selfish ambition or vain conceit? That idea of ambition in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. That's not a sinful thing to have ambitions. You should have ambitions. That's good. Have goals. Set them for yourselves. But what kind of ambition is Paul talking about? Instead, redirect your ambition away from self and turn it toward others. How do we do that? Paul says, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. In other words, it takes imitation. In the same way that I thought my son might imitate me, that he might feel conflicted about where should I be? Where's my purpose? What's my place? We, in a sense, imitate Christ. We imitate him. Thinking about it this way, um, I I love uh, impressionist comedians. And uh, lately, and actually, whenever I can't fall asleep, I'll stay up and just watch on my phone. I'll watch videos of comedians who do impressions. Like Jay Farrow, who does Denzel Washington, is spot on. You can close your eyes and you feel like you hear Denzel Washington speaking. I mean, it's just a, a fantastic impression. There are other impressionists. Frank Caliendo, for those of you who know him. He, I mean, these impressionist comedians, they do uh, these other celebrities so well that you can close your eyes and be like, oh my gosh, it's, it sounds like the person that they're doing. Like, it, it sounds exactly like them or it looks exactly like them. They, they, they act exactly like them. They can contort their face in such a way that just makes it, it look exactly like the celebrity that they're doing. I love watching that because it's so amazing. I'm just so uh, enamored by how they can get their voice to sound like that. And then every once in a while, they'll do, they'll do an interview with uh, another you know, person, like a, a late night show person, and they just ask this question, like, how do you do that? Like, how do, can you get your voice to change? How do you get your face to just adjust? And all of a sudden, now you look like that celebrity. How do you do that? And oftentimes, almost like nine times out of ten, the person just says, I am just crazy dedicated. 
I will, I will get my hands on anything that I can get on to, to, to watch a video, to listen to an audio clip, to, to read a transcript of something that they might say. Anything that I can get my hands on, I will. And I'll, I will just study it over and over and over again. And then I will practice it, practice it over and over and over again until I can feel like I've got it down. And then I'll record myself and then listen back to myself to see what I need to adjust and what I need to change. And some of the best comedians, impressionist comedians, are the one who are just that much more dedicated to their craft. I thought about it this way. What if we, as followers of Jesus, were crazy dedicated to our craft of imitating Jesus? Studying him so well that we just had all of his idiosyncrasies down, all of his mannerisms down, all of his patterns of speech, the way he dressed, the way he looked, the way he acted, the way he spoke. We had it all down because we were so crazy dedicated to the craft of imitating Jesus. What would that look like? What would that look like if we were out in public and people were like, oh my gosh, you, you sound just like him. You, you sound just like Jesus. How do you do that? How do you make your voice sound like him? How do you make the way that you speak sound just like him? That's amazing. Tell me more about that. Who's doing that with Christians? <laughs> They're not. They're like, please stop talking. That's enough. I don't want to hear about what your Jesus has to say anymore because we have misrepresented, misunderstood, and misinterpreted Jesus. But what if we actually imitated the Jesus of the scriptures who humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross? And exuded his love and his grace and his mercy to the point where people said, how do you do that? Tell me more. I want us to be a church that lives into this code of whatever it takes, wherever it takes us in such a way that people cannot help but look at us and be like, oh my gosh, they look just like Jesus. If I close my eyes and I listened, it sounds just like Jesus to me. Might that be a posture that we could aspire to as a church? I would love that. It'd be so beautiful. It'd be so life-giving. It'd be so filled with joy in our community to do whatever it takes, to go wherever it takes us, to give of ourselves in such a way where we are crazy dedicated to our craft. Here's the thing. This isn't just a random fun idea to talk about. This is actually a thing in the first century. It was very known for first century followers of a rabbi, any rabbi, not just Jesus. Uh, But there was a saying that would go like this, what a blessing it is to be covered in the dust of the rabbi. It was this idea that you would follow your rabbi so closely, these teenage Jewish boys that would follow their teacher so closely, be right behind them because they wanted to copy their every bit, their every mannerism, their every way of speaking, their every way of doing things, follow them so closely that as they're walking, as the rabbi is walking, they're kicking up the dust and the dust is flying in the face of the pupil, of the student, of the disciple to be covered in the dust of the rabbi, to watch him so closely that you're getting covered in everything that he kicks up. What if we were covered in the dust of our rabbi Jesus because we looked so much like him, we we followed him so closely. Church, we have a purpose and we have a posture to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to imitate Jesus, and to turn ourselves and our eyes and our actions and our hands outward 
to take a genuine interest in people, to care for one another. And it actually, it says in the book of Acts, the early church, they were so good at caring for everybody within that it was so obvious to everybody on the outside who said, I want to be a part of that. I want to live at that home too. I want to be part of their homecoming celebration. We'll talk more about that on October 29. Here's where I want to end this. It could be one thing to look at these verses, to become obedient to death, humbled as a position of a slave. Like those are words that don't necessarily evoke feelings of joy, right? Maybe feels a little depressing, a little despairing at times. But then Paul says, no, there's a purpose to all of this. There's a therefore in the sentence. I want to have you see this in the last part of these verses. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. This is a different definition of glory. This is all leading to glory, to God's glory. This isn't a word we normally use in our context, but if we were to use it, we think about glory in the terms of bigness, of, of, of majesty, of excellence. That's glory, right? That's bigness. But when we talk about glory and we talk about the glory of God, we see him as like up there and big and, and strong. But the verses that came right before it are the verses about humility and becoming obedient to death. Which means we have to reshift our definition of glory. That glory actually comes through humility. Glory comes through self-sacrifice. Glory in this context is an absolute paradox. It doesn't compute in our heads. You want to receive glory, get low. Get humble. Serve. Become obedient even to death. And this would have been, this would have been absolutely a joke to the church in Philippi, to a, a, a church in a community that is Roman influenced. See, Rome understood glory as well, but glory comes through military might, comes through strength, comes through Caesar who's in charge, who's in a palace. Paul says, no, Jesus has a different definition of glory and honor. I want to give us some action steps as a church, as we begin to think about these two codes and what that leads us into as well in terms of our purpose, our posture, and then ultimately worship. I want to ask us to continue to be a church who serves a church who gives, yes, monetarily, but in other ways as well, and a church who worships. I want to talk about service for just a second and talk about celebrating some people who are serving. We, we have serving opportunities. Many of you serve right here on the worship team. You serve in the tech booth. Yeah, we, we, we have people serving in Life Kids right now. That still continues to be a need. And so if you're interested in helping out, please let us know. They're serving in the coffee shop. They're serving as greeters. They're serving as people who just clean up. But I want to also celebrate some of the unconventional ways that people have been coming out of the woodwork to serve. I want to talk about Adam who came and met with me and we talked about his life. And then he said, I want to help wherever I can. And I said, hey, this isn't a really fun job, but like we had a, a leaky ceiling for a long time. And so that made a lot of our ceiling tiles upstairs really gross and disgusting to look at. And so we just need to replace a bunch of those. And said, Adam said, all right, give me a ladder. I'll do it. And he just got started 
on starting to slowly replace all of the ceiling tiles upstairs. We got a group of women who have come and gone through all of our nooks and crannies and closets and storage spaces and started organizing everything, started labeling everything. I'm not going to say their names because then you're going to seek them out and you say, hey, can you come to my house too? So I'm going to keep them a little bit anonymous right now, but you ladies know who you are and I am celebrating you from the stage, okay? We have, no, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. We have a group, a, a small group who all have preschool age kids. They dropped their kids off, up, off at the preschool room upstairs and they noticed that room needed some TLC. And so they said, you know what? We would love to come as a small group and we're just going to come and we're going to paint the room. And they painted it, but not only that, they made one of the rooms a chalkboard painting as well, or one of the walls. And so the whole wall is a chalkboard painting. So all the kids now can, can do their art on the chalkboard wall as well. They're thinking not just beyond doing something just to make it survive, just to, just to bring it up to par, but they're going above and beyond. I'm thinking about, um, I, I wrote them down. I didn't want to forget them as well. Oh, because it's right here. Anthony and Chris, they saw these chairs out in the cafe and I don't know if you can tell close up, but this one's actually not so bad, but there's stains, there's uh, scratches and stuff. They're coming apart a little bit. And they said, hey, we'd like to pop all of those off. And uh, we have some extra uh, pleather. He called it vegan leather, leather. <laughs> which I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that one. And they took all of them off and reupholstered all these chairs in the cafe. Doesn't that look great? Just little ways, just coming in, people just coming out of the woodwork, looking at things in our building and be like, I I can do that. I could fix that. Just stepping up. This is the heart I want us to have as a church. A couple weeks ago, I talked about not having uh, forks or knives, but being spoons, being willing and ready to serve. So many of you are just stepping into roles. I appreciate you so much. And for those of you who are looking for ways to serve, let us know. And let us know on that Connect card. I want to talk about giving, just briefly. And I want to celebrate. You are a church who responds in crisis. That's awesome. That's really great. And back in January, we had a crisis. And we talked about that in a financial means. And people stepped up. And so we created a six-month budget. And you blew us out of the water. And we ended with a surplus. We, we ended above and beyond what we had budgeted for. And that's great. That's great. And now we have a new budget year that starts in July 1st and wraps around to the next year. And so we've started. We're three months into our budget. I want to show you where we are right now. The need at this point in time as of uh, October 1st is 215620 What's been given so far is 210,060. And so we have a variance or a discrepancy of 5,660. We're short by that much. And this is our annual budget. But what I want to say is something that I observed in the last month. The, the deficit actually got as high as over 17 grand. And so there's a part of me that's like, oh, okay, all right. We, we, we got to figure out what we got to do. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> in like one week's time, people just showed up. You showed up and closed that deficit to now just this. And yes, we can clap for that. 
But again, I want to use these words. I don't want a budget that just survives. I want a budget that thrives so we can get to a point where we can actually dream about not just taking care of our home in here, but also our home, our bigger home out there into our community as well. So I'm asking you, would you please be generous to this church? As so many of you already are, there are about 70 people who are faithfully giving consistently and and really taking the church on their backs. For those of you who give from time to time, I want to invite you. Would you prayerfully consider taking it to the next level, to give faithfully, to give consistently, so we can not only close this gap, but also begin to dream about how we can take care of our community outside these walls. Lastly, we need to be a community that worships. We need to worship. I want to show these verses one last time back in Philippians chapter two. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. We've been doing that. We declare that. Every tongue confess, every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We do that in our singing. We do that in our worship. This is a worship service that Paul's talking about. This is leading somewhere. I want to invite us into that kind of worship, that heart of worship. But I also want you to be reminded, for those of you in this room who feel unworthy of that, who feel like you haven't been measuring up, who maybe even feel shame because you haven't served or you haven't given, that's not the point. What I want you instead to hear is that God, first and foremost, before you did anything, God, first and foremost, relentlessly pursued you. God, first and foremost, did whatever it takes and went wherever it took him. And so the song that we're going to sing is actually a different kind of song that that is sung from the perspective of God to say, don't give up on me. There's more plans for you. There's more purpose for you. There's more love and grace for you. Would you please stand as we prepare our hearts to hear from God his heart for you. Let's sing together. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that message. Hope you were encouraged by Pastor Jared and his reminder of our purpose in God and the posture with which we are called to live into this community, this home that God has planted us in. I also want to remind you that what God is doing is always an opportunity for you to support uh, and engage with what he's doing. And one of the ways that you can support what God is doing at this church and the ways that he is moving in our community is by investing, investing your resources uh, and your finances. And you can do that by heading over to our church center app or our website and uh, giving online. I would encourage you to give not just once or twice, but to give uh, faithfully and recurringly. Uh, That's the best way to support what God is doing in this church, in this community. Also, I want to remind you that if you need any kind of support, whether it's prayer, encouragement, just someone to pray with you, uh, please reach out. We are a community. We are here for you, um, not just our staff, but our whole community. So a uh, connect card, again, is going to be the best way to make those kinds of requests or uh, ask for that kind of support. So be sure to fill that out. But I hope you have a blessed week. I hope that this week you are reminded of who you are and whose you are your function 
and that you model the posture of Jesus in love towards others. Have a wonderful week, and we'll catch up with you soon. Bye.